Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast that wishes to explore what's next for education and how we can support people to grow and develop. I'm Rob McLeod, and on today's episode, we're going to attempt to summarize our first 49 episodes and present our framework for how to most effectively look at development and change in school. As always, joined by the illustrious Brendan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? I'm pretty good, Rob. How are you? I'm nervous. We've attempted to record this episode a few times now. It's a big order, but I think we're ready to do it today. Agreed. I'm excited and, and ready to do this, I think. Got a bit of fight in me. So quick summary, Brennan and I, two years ago, we were leaving Germany. We'd worked together for four years and we just knew we would lose touch with each other. And we were sad about that idea because we had started a lot of this work that has since become this podcast. We began this podcast partly just to keep our friendship going. But I think in turn, we've managed to really push our narrative further. We've tested this out in schools across the world now. And uh, we're interested to present these ideas for development and change in schools to you to see if they are useful, applicable, and hopefully serving you and your school. Is there anything else we need to say before we just get into our Brendan? Nope, that was a great pitch. Let's give the people what they came for. Okay, so welcome to episode 50 of Reinventing Education. As I said, the goal of this episode is to summarize our first 49 episodes, and we hope to present the frame developed for how to most effectively look at development and change in schools. Now, we are starting with an assumption. We're making an assumption that you are in education or connected to education in some way. Perhaps you are a teacher, an administrator, maybe a parent who's actively engaged with your child's education and trying to make sense of it, or just someone who has a vested interest in education. Perhaps you're even a student yourself. So we start with this question. Is the world's current approach to education and educating our future generations as we wish it to be? Now, we're guessing your answer isn't a full yes, because there are many new ideas about the changes we should make to education, and a lot of them are on the level of detail. But here we hope to zoom out and provide a big picture view of where we might go next, a map of the educational world in 2020, a little bit of a glimpse at its source code even. And by the end of this episode, we really hope that you'll better understand what education looks like today, and you'll be able to strategically act to make change in your educational context. So Rob, what does Reinventing Education see as the biggest challenges facing the advancement of our education system? So I think what is our biggest challenge these days is not seeing the three different value systems that inform what education is, to see the actual diversity of overall approaches to education. And here on the podcast, we're saying there are three types of school, traditional school, mainstream school, and progressive school. One way to think of this is these are actually like three games happening on the same field simultaneously. And each has very different ideas about how to play, how you succeed, what it means to win, what the end goal of the game is. And yet all three are happening on the same kind of athletic field, and we might mistakenly just call this education. But if we shift our focus from looking at education as one thing, and instead looking at it as a combination of three things, we can identify the unique challenges that each of these three schools, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, present to educational change. Now, we are saying that in 2020, you're not going to find these in isolation. And our goal in this episode is to clearly define the characteristics of each, the traditional, mainstream, and progressive school. Okay, so Brennan, what makes each of these three types of schools fundamentally different? Well, we think that it's the values and the core values that underpin what the three different types of schools do. Now, essentially, values determine how we interpret the world and how we act. So a lot of a lot of what we base our ideas on here, reinventing education, is a sociological t- 
tool called Spiral Dynamics and the work of Frederick Laloux in his book Reinventing Organizations. If you don't know about these, don't worry, because prior knowledge isn't necessary. We'll explain any relevant information, but it is worth noting that this is the basis for some of the definitions of our types of school. Now, traditional school is the blue stage in Spiral Dynamics, or the amber stage in Integral Theory, or the work of Frederick Laloux. And this is based on the core value of security. We also have the mainstream school, which is based on the orange stages of spiral dynamics and integral theory. And this is a core value of opportunity. And then we have the progressive school, which works from the green stage, which has a core value of inclusion. Now, the first school I mentioned, there was the traditional school. So Rob, what do we need to know about that type of school? So the traditional school, its core value is security. And security is defined as the state of being free from danger or threat. This kind of system is organized in like a pyramid. There's a very clear hierarchy at each layer of the pyramid, who does what. The emphasis here is on the authority of the teacher over the specifics of what is taught and how, and an emphasis on authority's opinion of how ready a student is. So Brennan, that's the traditional school. Can you now fill us in on the mainstream school? Yes. Yeah, so another type of school we talk about here is the mainstream school. These are the kind of schools you might currently see in Britain, North America, and so on. Now, the core value of the mainstream school is one of opportunity. Opportunity being a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. We might view this type of system as a meritocracy, a series of ladders even. The emphasis here is on the authority of a curriculum, and this will have subject-specific learning objectives, and it will attempt to objectively measure student achievement and progress. So that's the current kind of school we would see in many places around the world, but there is a third type of school we talk about a lot, and that is the progressive school. So Rob, what might we see in the progressive school? So the progressive school's core value is inclusion. Inclusion meaning the state of including and being included in a group. Here, the leadership structure is distributed. So you could kind of think of this either as a horizontal line, where in theory, no one is above someone else in rank, all people are equal, or you could see this as like a network or a circle. The emphasis here is on the authority of student interest and meaning. The goal here is to make learning meaningful. Learning will be less subject specific and more about overarching bigger picture skills. So Brennan, we've highlighted a few of the differences between the traditional mainstream and progressive schools here. What do these three different value systems or approaches to school share? Well, the idea of school is that it's an educational institution and it's designed to provide learning environments for the teaching of students. Of course, not all education happens inside a school. So education in its broadest sense has three main aims. One of those aims is work preparation. Another is cultivation of citizenship. And a third is the path of self-development. School is the way that we can meet those three aims. So between around 1770 and 1900, countries around the world read more or less to rely on a nationwide school system to educate children in the country. All of the three types of schools we mentioned a little bit earlier, the traditional, the mainstream, and the progressive, they're all aiming to meet those three aims, work preparation, citizenship, and self-development. Now, meeting these three aims is something that the traditional, mainstream, and progressive schools have in common, but how they go about meeting the aims is defined very differently between them. And each type of school does tend to emphasize one of the aims over the others. So, Rob, which of those three aims, work preparation, citizenship, and self-development, does each of the three types of school, the traditional, 
the mainstream and the progressive emphasize. So if we begin with the traditional school, with its core value of security, it emphasizes the cultivation of citizenship, getting you ready for your role in society, emphasis here being on morality and socialization. In the mainstream school, with the value of opportunity, it emphasizes work preparation, getting you ready for the next level of school or giving you the actual skills you need for the workforce. Finally, the progressive school, with the core value of inclusion, it emphasizes self-development, getting you ready to make your own path with your own skills and talents in life. Now, each of these three types of school have emerged sequentially. Historically, first we saw the traditional school, then we saw the mainstream schools emerge, and now we're seeing progressive schools. You could say that each of these has emerged providing solutions to the previous school's limitations or problems. So, Brennan, if I'm in a school, and I'm listening to this right now, and I want to identify which value is most dominant in my school, what would be some of the general characteristics to look for? Let's begin with the traditional school, its core value of security, and its emphasis on citizenship as an aim. Yes, so imagine you were in a school and you began to believe that it was working from a traditional mindset. What you might see in this type of school is the idea that the world needs you to do your duty and you should listen to us in authority so you can be ready to do that. And we want to ask what calls the shots in a traditional school? Well, it's the authority of the teacher and usually based on the idea of tradition. Authority figures will make decisions about when you as the student are ready to do certain things. And one way to think of this is in a feudal village where the beginnings of this traditional mindset emerged from, you might have a master carpenter who trained up apprentices and he would decide when it was time for the apprentice to be ready to finally build the cabinet. Some of the beliefs within the traditional system is the belief in loyalty, authority in return for security. There's usually high levels of trust inside the community, divine laws sometimes, the idea of carefulness, tradition and justice, responsibility and discipline. And again, as we said earlier, an emphasis on morality. So as I just mentioned, the model for teaching and learning inside the traditional school is one of the master and apprentice. And again, you might look back to a feudal village that had a master craftsman that taught apprentices how to carry out a highly specific set of practical or physical skills. And they would train them up over several years to become the master themselves. Now, of course, in a school, it's slightly different and there's a ratio more of 1 to 30, 1 to 40, maybe even 1 to 15. And so this model begins to become difficult in some ways, but it's still the core model of how teaching and learning happens in a traditional school. So the teacher, they're a figure of authority and they have pretty much full discretion over what's taught, when and how. And they may reference a textbook, there may be some syllabus documents, but they have a lot of discretion. The student, well, their main duty is to meet the teacher's expectations. And so if you're inside a traditional school classroom and you're watching the teaching and learning, you'll see a lot of memorization, the reproduction of information that's been given. The opinions of the students may not necessarily be considered very often inside the lesson. You may not see any differentiation. And this is really because there's one correct way to do things and you need to learn it from us, the figures of authority. Attendance is key in the traditional school. If you put in the time and put in the effort, that is our expectation. Now, non conformity is met with punishment, often a physical punishment or public shame, the aim of which is to instill 
self-discipline. So the teacher, often when looking at the student's work, may focus on the things they cannot do or their mistakes in an attempt to bring them closer to mastery of those skills. This is a reasonable approach for a master because the master has an apprentice and they want the apprentice to do things the correct way. So the pros and cons of this system, as with any school system, as you'll see with the other two, there are positives, we call them babies. Those are things we really want to keep hold of and there are negatives or cons, we call them bathwater. So some of the pros in the traditional system, we have structure, we have order, we have security, we have the feeling of belonging to a group and to a lineage, we have high levels of trust. However, some of the criticisms you might feel from the other school systems towards the traditional school is that they lack efficiency or optimal effectiveness. They're resistant to change. They lack consistency sometimes and there's only one way to do things which is sometimes perceived as arbitrary. So Rob there we've set out the main features of the traditional school. However there are two other types of school we're going to talk about and the next one is the mainstream school which focuses on the value of opportunity with an emphasis on work preparation or even the next step of school. So Rob what are some of the features that would tell us that we were in a mainstream school? There's this belief that the world is your oyster. Things are there for your taking and you need to prove to us in school how good you are and by doing that you can open up doors for yourself later on in life. Academic success here is defined by your assessed score against our preset universal standards in the school or in the curriculum. The one way to think of this is kind of like the Olympics. You show up to the Olympics, they already have the definitions of success that they are looking for and you are competing against those standards. So here we see a lot of enlightenment beliefs, equality, freedom, and liberty. And it's really all about proving yourself. School in the mainstream school actually becomes competitive. It's very results oriented. It's all about competence and the measuring of that competence. And it actually believes in supporting the free market. Much of school's function is to help filter for the job market later in life. Now the key here though is measurement. There is this belief that things can be measured. Mainstream schools believe in the empirical, the objective. They're willing to challenge the authority from traditional schools because they want to see results. They test possibilities, new approaches. There's an emphasis on rational and analytical thinking. And there are objective and discoverable truths. Now the mainstream school, as far as a historical context goes, we really see this emerge most in the 20th century. School becomes about work preparation and building you up to be ready to enter the workforce by building skills and even achieving qualifications. So degrees or letters after your name becomes very important. And mainstream schools serve as a filter for the job market. The schools themselves provide qualifications. And there are several levels of qualifications that one can attain in order to enter different parts of the workforce. And in theory, the higher level of schooling you have, new tiers of the job market opens up for you and promises a potentially higher salary. Mainstream school brings in new features that weren't present in traditional schools. Here we see an emphasis on accountability at all levels, student accountability, teacher accountability, administration, school accountability, even nation accountability. We see the emergence of standardized testing, focusing on student data. We see report cards. There is a national curriculum, school rankings where we compare schools against each other, potentially in some cases even seeing teacher salary linked 
to student test scores and achievement. Students are also streamed into different academic levels or groupings. And we also see the emergence of charter schools for profit from public schooling. We basically see business entering into the function of education. Here we move from the master apprentice model in traditional school to thinking of a teacher as a coach in the mainstream school. Think of students as athletes. All of these athletes are running the same race, and it's their coach, their teacher, who helps them work on technique and strategies to achieve their best. And they're in a competition with clear rules, clear definitions of success, and a clear idea of what it means to win. So what's calling the shots in a mainstream school? Well, it's the curriculum. You've got a curriculum that informs everything that's happening in the mainstream school. And this curriculum is divided into different subjects. Each subject has clear and specific learning objectives or goals to be met. Mainstream schools believe in objectively measuring student achievement and progress through the curriculum's laid out goals. So the teacher delivers the curriculum and prepares students for the tests or the assessments where we determine their degree of merit. And it's essentially the student's job to demonstrate their highest level of ability and achievement against these standards we are presenting them with. For both teacher and students, results and accountability are what it's all about. So teaching and learning here, we have clear objectives from the curriculum. And essentially in a classroom, you might see differentiated work at different levels, even including special needs education. Now, when a student does not conform to this approach, there is sometimes detention to do work, but we also see a positive side as well. There might be behavior rewards, so rewards charts or encouraging the positive behaviors we wish to see as well. Here in the mainstream school, we also see the emerging of student voice, school councils, open-ended projects, things like science fairs. And the teacher focuses on what students can do and what their next steps are in relation to those set standards of the curriculum. Now, some of the pros, well, they solved many of the shortcomings of traditional school. They brought in this accountability. So there's the checks and balances on all levels to prove that what teachers are doing is effective. So what are some of the pros and cons of the mainstream school? Well, some of the pros, some of the advantages, some of those babies are that the mainstream school has essentially solved a lot of the problems that the traditional school had. We bring in accountability. No longer is the teacher the source of authority, their performance, their results, those checks and balances balances, they're more important. And we see checks and balances on every level from students, teachers, again, school boards, nations, all these kinds of things. As well, we see differentiation. No longer do we have just this model of all students doing the same thing at the same time. We also have clear goals, articulated goals, and they're the same goals across the whole country or at least province or state. We also see standardized competition for advancement and progress is measured. It's no longer an opinion. Progress is measured and students are given feedback before a unit starts, during a unit, and at the end of a unit. Now, there are certainly cons, certainly drawbacks we'd like to do away with. First of all, the mainstream school gamifies school. What I mean by that is everything begins to center around numbers and data, and this incentivizes students teachers, administration, school boards, even countries, to perhaps act in ways that influence the numbers that create an advantage for them. Now, it's also reductionist. At times, it sees numbers and not people, and believes that the things that can be measured matter more than anything else. There are also incredible advantages and disadvantages that are out of a student's control when attempting to climb these various ladders. Some of them might be socioeconomic advantages or disadvantages, social or emotional developmental issues that have some kind of an impact in terms of students' ability to achieve. As well, school can become self-referential in the mainstream approach. To win the game of school as a student, you have to do well in school. And that essentially means to meet institutions
institutional expectations. Now, some of those may or may not actually be serving students to get ready for the job market. These needs of the school might also not be serving the job market itself. So school has steps. School prepares you for the next step of school and not necessarily for work. The way things are done within the world of the workforce may not mirror the way things are done in school. And we see this anecdotally by businesses consistently talking about how students don't have the necessary skills when graduating and entering into their companies. We also see a monoculture, for example, in the USA. The whole country, regardless of differences, from Alaska to Miami, is facing the same curriculum and basing all of their teaching, all of their learning, everything they do around this monoculture of skills that every single student is supposed to demonstrate their understanding and capability with. So treating the entire student body across an entire country, not taking into consideration socioeconomic issues, cultural backgrounds, and a plethora of other variables, you're treating the entire student body as homogenous, which it is definitely not. And as far as that monoculture of disciplinary skills, where we see, you know, math skills, biology skills, etc., in those specific disciplines, it's kind of like we're digging 10 shallow wells and not really allowing true depth or specialization because that's supposed to come much later. And as well, wellness, mental health, student wellness. Within the mainstream school, there's often very high stakes testing that determines what doors are open to you later. And one bad score, or even one good score for that matter, can completely alter what is available to someone in the next stage of their life. So these are some of the characteristics of the mainstream school, school that organizes itself around opportunity. Brennan, let's talk about our third type of school, the progressive school. This is one that has the core value of inclusion. There's an emphasis on the individual and their development. What kind of characteristics might we see if we're in a progressive school? Yes, well, a school once had the promise that it was our key to succeeding in the economy. And if you worked hard in school and you got your qualifications, you would come out the other side and the jobs were there. It's no longer a guarantee. You also need on top of those qualifications a whole set of skills to make your own path through this world. And there's a belief in the progressive system that if we all make our own way through the world while accepting others, we bring a diversity and also a resilience to our community. We, by investing in ourselves, can take that back into the community and make and make things better for everybody. Now, some of the beliefs in a progressive system include the idea of relativity, equality and equity, community, wellness and welfare, seeking personal meaning in your life, personal growth, harmony, appreciation, the acknowledgement of emotions. Sometimes the progressive value deconstructs the world around it, takes it apart and analyzes the previous ways of doing things. If you're in the progressive system, you're working from this core value of inclusion. Now, inclusion is the action or state of including or being included within a group or structure. Now, of course, we mean including the people around us and in the wider community and celebrating the diversity. But previously, we excluded parts of ourselves from school. And now we've brought that all to the table. So our own thoughts and feelings and dreams and interests and our own sense of meaning and purpose is now brought into school with the belief that, again, if we pursue our own path through life, we can bring that to the community and make it a better place for everybody. So this idea of progressive school, it came out of a search for personal meaning that wasn't necessarily available in the mainstream and traditional systems. It's often described as constructivist and that means that the learner is building their own understanding of the world. This is based on the work of, of John Dewey and Jean Piaget. 
Leger, and you might find this in schools such as Summerhill and even in the IB primary years program. Now, we saw the master and apprentice model, we saw the coach model. In the progressive school, we see a counseling model where the student makes many of their own choices and is counseled through by their teacher. The teacher's role inside a progressive school is very much about negotiating with the student and finding out the path that the student is going to make through their own education. Teachers will focus on students' unique development and they will look at a broad range of what we call transdisciplinary skills, skills that go across all subjects. The student is empowered to choose what they study, how, when, and why. And so in a progressive school, in terms of teaching and learning, we might see a lot of experiential learning or learning by doing, a lot of reflection on what we've experienced. We're looking for things to be meaningful to the individual. You might see teachers and students negotiating goals that are based heavily on personal interests. You'll see very flexible times and spaces, and you will see the idea of taking action or using your learning as the goal of learning. Now, as I just briefly mentioned before, one thing you will see emerging in the progressive school system uh, with the inclusion value at its core is this idea of transdisciplinary skills. So we sometimes call these 21st century skills or higher order skills. And these are skills of problem solving and project management, broad communication skills and skills that involve working with others. They go across all subjects on all disciplines. Now in a mainstream school and even in a traditional school you would find what we call disciplinary skills. So in mathematics you have multiplication, in language you have spelling. These are very much anchored in the subject themselves. But those transdisciplinary skills of problem solving and broader communication skills, they would go across all subjects and be applicable to many, many contexts. So another thing you might see as a feature of the progressive school system is this idea of community service and social responsibility. Now we talked about nonconformity in the traditional mainstream school, but what if a student does not conform with the ideas in a progressive system. Now, what would normally happen here is the teacher, again, acting in that counsellor role, would dig into some of the problems that the, the students were having and why they didn't want to move along with this particular type of learning. And they would talk and negotiate and eventually come out with some solutions that worked for the individual student. So as with every type of school system, there are pros and cons. Now, some of the pros here, some of the positives was that the progressive school system with its inclusion value solved some of the problems that we can see in mainstream school. It highlighted students' voice and their ownership over their learning. It brought in those huge transdisciplinary skills that apply to many real-world contexts. And it turned learning into a series of inquiries where students can take their own path into the things that are important to them and their world. It also puts student wellness at its core and it attempts to remove any unfair system systemic disadvantages that may come from socioeconomic or developmental background. Now, some of the cons, some of the criticisms you may see leveled at the progressive system from the mainstream or traditional are that it may lack rigor and development, the kind of things you might find in a mainstream school. There may be a complaint that some of the skills that are taught lack utility in the workplace. They're not specific enough. There's some concerns that this type of student-centered teaching and learning may lead to 
to the selfish student body and even into the realms of narcissism. There's also some concern that being able to choose your own path at every step of the way in your education may remove some of the challenges that provide you with an opportunity for growth because the real world does not revolve around you and maybe you being in a position to choose every action you take doesn't prepare you for the real world. So all three school systems there have been laid out hopefully fairly clearly they are huge huge ideas with lots of complexity and we've tried our best to simplify them. We had the traditional school operating from the value of security. We had the mainstream school with a core value of opportunity and we just heard about the progressive school with a core value of inclusion. So Rob where do we look to see which value is most active in our own school contexts? So just as we said school can be broken into three types of school. When we look at any one school we could create eight categories or eight aspects for how to look at it. So most often we can first think of the activities and the resources. What are people doing there and what kinds of things are being used? And when I say resources, this could also include people, so the human resources. So we can look at the activities and resources. We can also look at the systems and the environments. So the systems, how do we organize what we do? And the environments, what are the actual physical places of a school? Now, we can also begin to look at the people within the school. And we can see communities, various groups of people, and we can see those communities and their unique cultures, the social norms, the sense of how we do things, so communities and cultures. And finally, we can also look on the individual level, individual students, teachers, administrators, parents, community members, and we can look at the beliefs and we can look at the reactions of the individuals. The beliefs about what is important, good, beautiful, and true, and their reactions. How are they reacting to all of these other aspects? So when we talk about a school and we want to look at change, we need to consider these eight aspects of school. The eight aspects, again, are the activities, the resources, the systems, the environments, the communities, the community's cultures, and the individual's beliefs and the individual's reactions. So now that we've laid out those eight aspects, Brendan, how would we use those eight aspects to support a school? So we would analyze the eight aspects that you just described there, Rob, to help us define what the core value of the school was. And then by looking at each of the eight aspects, we would celebrate the healthy aspects of the school, the aspects of the school that are working in support of their core value. Those are the things we want to keep hold of. Those are the things we want to actually celebrate and do more of. And then we would also analyze these eight aspects to look for any less healthy aspects. Anything that was working against our core value, we would want to look at how we might make a plan for action to solve those issues and to move forward as a school. So again, those eight aspects were the activities and resources, the systems and environments, the communities and cultures and the beliefs and reactions of the individual. And in the 21st century, we will not find a school anywhere in the world that is operating entirely from one of those core values of security, opportunity, or of inclusion. There will always be some aspects of the school that are informed by a mix of these values. And so this may make it a little bit more complex to analyze and to work out where we are at. But again, we look at those eight aspects and they give us clues of where to go. So that aim of finding a healthy version of our core value is at the center of what reinventing education is trying to do. So if you're going to change a school, you're going to have to see if all eight aspects are working to support those core values. Because even if one of those eight aspects is working against you, that can be enough to override your progress as a school. Now, by change, are we saying that the progressive school is the best and we should all move in that direction? No, it is the most recent to come online, 
but each of the three values has its own strengths and weaknesses. What we are proposing here is moving towards a fourth value that we haven't mentioned yet. Now, each of the previous three values, security, opportunity and inclusion, they brought their own way of doing things, their own set of norms to each of the eight aspects of school. And they essentially do this regardless of context. What this emerging fourth value does is it recognizes the importance of each of the three values. And we want to carry forward the best of each of those three values of security, opportunity and inclusion while pruning out any of the drawbacks. Because if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything be begins to look like a nail. So each school, the traditional, the mainstream and the progressive, in some sense could be described as a one-size-fits-all approach. So in this emerging fourth value, which is one of integration, seeks to be a kind of tool belt to help you organize the previous three values. This integration value, Rob, which we sometimes describe as post-progressive school, what might we see in this? For those of you who are familiar with spot dynamics or integral theory, we might call this a teal or a yellow school, its core value is the value of integration, integration. And its emphasis is on all three aims. So work prep, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. But it, it doesn't emphasize one more than the other constantly. Rather, it flexibly shifts between which of those three aims is most important, depending on the context, the needs of the people and the system. So what does the world look like to someone who might be in alignment with the post-progressive value? Well, the world is a VUCA place. VUCA being volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And because of this, there is no one optimal approach, given that there is this volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity about how to get ready for the workforce, the citizenry, and, and for your very own life. And we would say that given this volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. It's not going to be the traditional school's approach of fitting into your place. It's not going to be the mainstream's approach of climbing the ladder and just proving your merit and how good you are and receiving rewards for that. And it's also not the progressive's approach of finding your own path. If we're present and we're engaged with our actual lived context, and if we're flexible in terms of how we relate to it, there's a lot more that's possible to us than relying on any of these three previous approaches. At times, any of these previous values may be an optimal way to go, but it's the developing of that discernment, discerning which of the previous values to align with is what's most important at this post-progressive or integration value. And once we see the tug of war between these three previous values, we can see how each of them attempts to influence what education looks like. Each of those three previous values doubles down when facing a challenge and believes that the best starter pack for life, the best starter pack to get you ready for the workforce, for your place in the citizenry and, and for your own life, is to double down on things. And when asked how should we educate the security value doubles down in the traditional school and says, we need to go back to basics, how we used to do it. In the opportunity school, the mainstream school, and says, we need to advance what we're already doing. We need to do it better. We need to do it more effectively, more efficiently, and maximize even more student achievement. Then in the inclusion progressive school, they double down and admit that the system as it was, was faulty. And we need to move even further beyond it to an even more personalized level. And I simply go back to the quote, we can't solve our problems with the same level of thinking that we use to create them. So Brendan, that's a little bit about the kind of post-progressive or integrative value. Can you talk about what a post-progressive school looks like or might? 
look like? Well, it's a tricky one. And we don't really know if they exist out there yet. We'd like to think they do. However, the core value is one of integration of the other three values. And the main aim is the balancing of the three values, that is security, opportunity, and inclusion according to the context and the needs of the individuals in the community. So the operating system or the worldview in a post-progressive school is one of integration, being in this kind of state of flow, which is being very responsive to this incredible complexity that the VUCA world offers, that volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and really being aware of the needs of the individuals in the community, and then moving with fluidity between those three earlier value systems. So, as I just said, does it exist? Maybe. If it does, what are we looking for? Well, the teacher would be that master, the master and apprentice model, but they'd also be the coach. They'd also be the counselor, depending on the context. And the student, likewise, they would be the apprentice or the person being coached or the person being counseled. Again, dependent on context. In teaching and learning, we would see both higher order 21st century skills, problem solving, communication, social and self-management skills. We would also see those disciplinary skills. And again, it would depend on the context. We might see differentiation by the type of value system that the student needs at a specific time. We could see within the same school or the same classroom, students experiencing teaching and learning in the traditional school style, or in the style you might see in the mainstream school, or in the style you might see in the progressive school. And again, it's going to come down to the context and the needs of the individual and the system. Now, as we've said several times, you're not going to find any of the three previous values of security security, opportunity, inclusion, operating 100% in isolation in any school today. We're pointing them out so that we can see them at play in our school and see which aspects of school are operating from which value system and what is the mix that's at play. What we might see in the world out there is educators who are working with a post-progressive mindset. And if you are such an educator or if you know one in your school, they may be attempting to bring the best and most applicable features of each of the three previous types of school into the classroom, into the learning environment. So you might see these post-progressive educators working with traditional security values and with mainstream opportunity values and with those progressive inclusion values. Now, in previous episodes, myself and Rob have, have referred to teachers who are working inside a traditional mainstream or progressive school, but have this post-progressive mindset. We've called them hackers. They are moving around inside that system and seeing how they can bring the other value systems in to best serve the needs of the entire community and the individuals within it. Where there's even those brave few pioneers out there attempting to create post-progressive schools. And we've spoken to a few of them in the history of our podcast and hopefully we'll speak to a lot more along the way. So the traditional system was created to solve problems from an earlier age and the mainstream school attempted to solve the issues of traditional education. Progressive school came along attempting to solve the problems of the mainstream school. The post-progressive school actually says that if you're just trying to meet the demands of the previous value and you're just trying to solve the problems that came before you, maybe, maybe you're limiting your worldview. And if you're able to look at all three value systems and see what they can bring to your context, 
maybe you're more free to access what's more relevant and meaningful and needed for your community. So it basically means being open to seeing that each of those three values, security, opportunity, inclusion, has something to bring to the table. Now, Rob, you wanted to talk about an idea of how schools sometimes are operating from more than one value at the same time, and we call this a sheen. Would you like to explain that concept? Indeed. So sheens, just in case it's a word you're not familiar with, it talks about a soft shine on a surface. You could think of it as a surface on top of something else, covering over it. So in our case, we're talking about a surface of a value that's actually covering over a different core value. We believe that currently education still very much at its core is in the mainstream opportunity approach. Ultimately, schools of every sort are still about grades because they're demanded in our world. We still look at advancement, achievement, filtering for the job market or the next steps of school. But the way we do that, Brennan and I have noticed, seems to be done with one of two possible sheens. Either we see a traditional sheen wrapped around the mainstream ways of doing things, or a progressive sheen wrapped around the mainstream ways of doing things. So we could see people attempting to meet those needs of the mainstream opportunity school, but doing it through the traditional way with an emphasis on duty and doing what's asked of you. That's the traditional sheen. But we could also see a progressive sheen added to it where there's more student wellness and voice and choice taken into consideration. But at the end of the day, the thing that really matters are those grades. And sure, we're willing to bring in student voice if it helps the grades along. So the center of gravity and the goals and vision of the mainstream or opportunity approach still have the largest influence in education today. So when attempting to identify like what value is most predominant in your school, see if one of those sheens may be present as an attempt to still meet the requirements of the mainstream or opportunity approach. So Brennan, where are we as reinventing education going with all of this? Well, our main aim is to support schools to find their core value and to move forward and to solve any issues that are evolved in maybe not meeting their core values in one of the aspects of school. We're currently in the process of putting together some tools that will help schools to identify what that core value is and the degree to which they're aligned to it. We hope with these tools we'll be able to support schools in making a plan of action to address the things that are actively working against their goals, their aims and those core values to ultimately move the school closer to where it needs to be to meet the needs of its community. So how would you as an educator, a parent, even a student now, how would you apply the reinventing education model to your school? Well, first of all, listen back to what we said, maybe take it out into your school and see Does it make sense what we're saying? These are new ideas to us. We're fleshing them out and we're very open to having a conversation to answer questions and to have discussions on it. But take what we've said, take it into your school and see how much it makes sense. See if you can identify which of the three values is calling most of the shots in your school. Is it security? Is it an opportunity value? Or is it an inclusion value? Are you in a traditional school? Are you in a mainstream school? Or are you in a progressive school? Identify maybe if this is the value that you actually wish to embody. Maybe you're in a school that feels like it's in a traditional mindset, but you think you want to move in more of a mainstream direction. This is an important 
important question to ask, an important discussion to have. What is that value that your culture wishes to uphold or to move beyond? Now, if you do find that your core value and the value of your community is in alignment with what's happening in the school, then let's go ahead and leverage those aspects to ensure the best expression of that value while attempting to minimize any shortcomings we can identify how those eight aspects are reinforcing or working against those values. Go into your school, look at the activities and resources, the systems and environments, the communities and culture and the beliefs and reactions of the individuals. And if you do wish to move beyond your current state, you want to identify which value you want to move towards and look at what we need to change across those eight aspects in order for that new value to be reinforced. Let's go ahead and identify some common problems in the school, some things that everyone in the community agrees could be better. And let's find a way to speak to each other and to use words that speak to all the value systems, whether it's a traditional security value mindset, whether it is a mainstream opportunity value mindset or a progressive inclusion value mindset. Let's try and speak together. Let's try and identify issues and then find solutions that work for all of us. So Mac, Let's say there is a person in a school, a parent, a teacher, a student, and they do want to take this forward. They've listened to what we said. They've taken to the school and asked some questions. How can we help and support in that? So I think normally in a podcast, this is the point where they reveal their pitch or their big new product or something to buy in on. And quite frankly, we have these things coming, but we feel this needs to be a team effort to make this truly meaningful and impactful. So if you are still with us and you'd like to apply some of this model we've shared with you in this episode in your educational context, reach out to us. We're on Twitter. We also have an email address, reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com and help us inform what's the best next step what do you wish existed that could help you, help your school, help the students, help the staff, help the community? I don't mean to sound grandiose, but help the world by intentionally, consciously making change within your school. We believe this map so far, this approach, this, this kind of system we've laid out here seems to be the most effective, efficient, and holistic one we've seen. So help us. What's most helpful for us to help you? We're thinking of a questionnaire to help point to your school's core value. We're thinking of offering small group coaching, one-to-one walkthroughs of this approach. Just simply reach out to us. We, we're kind of curious to see where this takes root, grows, develops, and nourishes us all through this. So we wish to begin taking more action, but kind of want to do this as a team effort. So feel free to reach out to us to, to let us know what would be the most helpful way to do that. So Brennan, I think we've done it. We managed to to lay out our first 49 episodes condensed down into around an hour or so. So first of all, kudos to both of us. Uh, any closing thoughts before we go? We gave it our best shot, Mac. It's complex. It's taken us a while to be able to say this. I think it's where we're at. I think this is the best way we can say where we're at right now. It's genuine. We're at the very edge of what we understand. But we do have a lot of skills and we do have a lot of experience in schools. And I think now taking it to the application stage, talking to people, and let's have that discussion and see how we can actually take this model and apply it to schools and make some change. I'm looking forward to it. If you are out there, please reach out to us. Let's have that conversation. Let's start working together. But thanks very much, Rob. That was a... 
that was a roller coaster ride and uh, I appreciate riding that roller coaster with you that's 50 in the bag where are we going from here straight to bed well two <laughs> straight to bed today but two years ago when hiking on a mountain in Germany you and I we agreed to a hundred episodes and that seemed ambitious and I almost don't think a hundred episodes will be enough now but uh I guess in terms of our actual podcast, we've just spent more than 10 episodes laying out in detail what a traditional school looks like. And our next focus will be going into detail through all eight aspects, the kinds of things you might see in a mainstream school and then later a progressive school. And then uh, we will comb back through all three of those with our post-progressive integrative mindset and uh, try to discern the babies and the bathwaters from those. Well, as always, I appreciate the conversation, Rob. It's, it helps me as a person, as a teacher, to get my ideas in order. And you're always insightful. And I appreciate having these 50 episodes with you. And Yes, I also feel 50 more might not be enough. Let's see where it goes. And uh, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Brennan. And as my closing thought, I think why I'm so motivated by this is this has not come from us starting with a theory and then trying to massage it into reality. I think you and I, we bring more than 10 years each of educational experience to the table. And I think we've kind of filtered back from our actual experience to seeing if these categories of school, if seeing these different aspects, if seeing the different aims, if these things actually fit, if they work or are functional. And my aim here isn't to remove conflict from schools, but it's to more consciously approach the disagreements in education. And I think ultimately this, this model we've approached about how in schools we all have the best of intentions. That's one thing I do want to make clear. I think all of these value systems, all of these approaches to school genuinely in their heart of hearts have the best of intentions. And if we hear someone else suggesting something different in one of those aspects, and it seems to go against our best intentions, we question it. And, you know, it can bring about conflict, which is fine. But I hope that using this map, it at least brings one more tool to the table for us to, to have a discussion through. It might help translate between us some of these different value systems and, and to explain why we think we should be doing something in an aspect and, and hopefully just facilitating either becoming better in our current value or having the smoothest transition possible into our next expression of a value of a school. There's my bit of a ramble to wrap up. Also a heartfelt thanks, Brennan. As always, thanks for pushing my thinking and uh, requiring me to get clear and precise with my ideas and calling me out when I have errors in my thinking. So thank you very much. I hope this has been as meaningful or possibly insightful or as useful to all of you out there as it has been fun and challenging for Brennan and I to put together. Bye. Thanks, Brennan.